0: Our scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22. Hear God's word to us. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around By the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved up from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness and the lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them on along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people this is the word of the lord you may be seated
1: Well, good morning, and welcome again to Christ Community's downtown campus. My name is Gabe Coyle, and I'm the campus pastor here. And to kind of help set the mood, we're going to watch a short video. So let's watch. And a crazy fan of The Office to not know that scene, right? And I, I don't think any of us in here are as ridiculous as Michael Scott. I don't think any of us are as ridiculous as Michael Scott. But every one of us have probably been in that position, now, sure, I mean, our GPS has probably betrayed us to take some back road to Des Moines, Iowa. Anyone? <laughs> uh, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. We've all been on some path at some point, either that we chose or at least felt like chance. And we realized it was heading nowhere. And maybe even worse, we were going headfirst into a, a lake. Um, we're really familiar with dead ends, with dead ends in life whether it be a dead-end job or maybe a dead-end relationship. Maybe some of you here this morning are here and you feel like your marriage or your family is at a dead end. Maybe you have a friendship that's at an impasse or a chronic illness, a a sickness, or an issue of depression, lust, fear, failure, and your internal GPS just keeps saying, recalibrating, recalibrating, until splash. Your neck deep in it. I mean, no one here likes dead ends. They're infuriating in many regards, and we go looking for some sort of U turn anywhere. And whether it's because of our own mistakes or the mistakes of others, the brutality, intentional brutality sometimes of others, or even just the brokenness of our world, it just seems like dead ends are everywhere. But you know who loves dead ends? who sometimes orchestrates and plans dead ends. And this can sound infuriating or maybe even seem cruel at first. But God loves dead ends. God loves dead ends. Now, he doesn't love seeing his people in pain. He doesn't enjoy suffering. But dead ends are where God does some of his best work. I mean, just think about where we've been in our story this summer. We began in the book of Exodus with the birth of Moses, and of all places, the reeds of the Nile, the place where every Hebrew male baby was to be murdered in the Nile according to the law of Pharaoh. This was the exact place where Moses the baby was saved, there in the reeds of the Nile by God's grace. Fast forward 80 years, and we find a failure of a man out in the middle of the desert by the name of... Moses. And of all people, God calls him, God calls him through a bush that was on fire but wasn't being consumed to now lead the way of deliverance for a whole nation of people. And then we've seen God take on Pharaoh, extremely stubborn, extremely violent, and against all odds, ultimately through the blood shed of lambs. God brings deliverance to Israel out from underneath the bondage to Egypt. And then here we are. Finally, the exodus, right? The people of God are leaving Egypt. And I want you to think about this. Imagine, as an Israeli, you were born in Egypt. All you know is Egypt. I mean, in one sense, you feel more Egyptian than you do Israeli. You, every, every sunrise came with the, the, the strikes of the whip at your back. Every sunset came with exhaustion, working for someone else's property as someone else's property, wondering if God was listening to your cries at all. And now every step outside of Egypt is a step towards freedom, realized. And you can almost imagine a father who looks at his toddler daughter and now knows that his daughter won't have to know the cruel and twisted desires of Egyptian taskmasters. A mother, she begins to burst out into laughter because she realizes she'll no longer have to mend the wounds from the whips her son received at the Egyptian brickyard. And something begins to creep up in the Israelites that hasn't been there for centuries. Hope. Hope. You see, they're headed towards the land that God had promised them generations ago to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. And the text that was just read for us this morning, they're carrying Joseph's bones, which seems kind of weird, right? But Joseph said, God will visit you and he will bring us to the land he has promised our fathers. Promise me you'll take my bones with you a symbol that God has been aware of everything up until this point. And God, as we heard also in the passage that was just read for us, is leading them very explicitly. He's leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If God goes north, Israel goes north. If God goes south, even at night, Israel goes south. It's as simple as the game, follow the leader. (laughs) And how often do we wish that were still the, the case today, right? Should I take this job? Should I go on a second date? Where's the pillar of fire? Um, (laughs) But here's the deal. Whenever God leads that explicitly, it usually demands great faith of us about where he's about to take us. And look where God leads Israel. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 2, the Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi between Migdol and the sea. In front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. I want you to turn back. I know you guys are heading south, but I want you to now turn back. Now, has God lost his way? Is he confused? Oh, I missed exit 74. If I get off Ramsey's way, I can get us back on track. No, right? God has a plan. He's being very strategic on what he's making Israel look like. And he lets Moses in on this plan. And verse 3 For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We talked a little bit about that last week. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. You see, God's setting a trap to destroy the brutal Egyptian army so that they can never harass, never, ever, 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 ever do anything to harm Israel ever again, ever. And Egypt falls to the trap. You see, word comes back to Pharaoh, we read in our passage, and his guys that, oh, Israel, they're out wandering in the wilderness. They can't even navigate the wilderness right outside of the city of Ramses. And finally say somebody says something they're all thinking. <sighs> Stupid slaves. This was our economic engine of Egypt. Why did we let them go? Let's go take what is ours. Let's make them pay for the sons of ours that they've taken, that their god has taken. And so Pharaoh with a fire lit in his eyes that seems unquenchable, gathers his armies, his best generals, all of his chariots and goes for the hunt. Can you imagine, let's just sit here for a second. Can you imagine being the first Israeli of some two million people out in the desert right there next to the the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea and you're looking and you see this glimmer off in the distance in the desert and it's a part of what looks to be like a sandstorm and you hear thunder or at least you think it's thunder and then slowly that one glimmer becomes thousands of glimmers It's 600 chariots, even more troops than that and your heart sinks because the Egyptian army has come. Pharaoh is there, and you've got swords before you to the west and the sea behind you to the east. You've got no way of escape. You're trapped. Israel is at a dead end. And remember, though, God told Moses this was going to happen. None of this was a surprise to Moses. It was a surprise to Israel, to be sure. And I don't know about you, but... Whenever I find myself in a crisis, it's, it's kind of an annoying trait of my own heart that whenever I'm in a crisis, my first thought is, God, are you paying attention? How did you let this slip by? It's like I start to think that God's a lot like me, you know, off reading a good book somewhere and then over the baby monitor, he hears a cry and goes, I'm coming, I'm coming. But that's not what we see of God at all here in our passage. Instead, what we actually see is that for God... Dead ends are no surprise. Dead ends are no surprise ever. And really, they're not even a surprise to us. Now, in the moment, they're disorienting. um, They're frustrating, infuriating. But we all know we live in a broken world. We expect friendships to fizzle, jobs to transition, relationships to end. But what we so often forget is that for God... Dead ends are no surprise either. And many times, He's the one who leads us there. Now, hear me this morning. That can sound and feel like salt in a wound if you're in a dead end this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling through. Some of the things I do know you're wrestling through. But I don't know what you're pushing against. I don't know what's pushing against you this morning, what pain and heartache you're wrestling through. But hear this, God has never, ever, ever been surprised by anything that's happened in your life. God has never had to take a step back and reassess and come up with plan B, ever. Now, that doesn't make the dead end a whole lot easier, if that's all we say. (laughs) But everything else I know about who our God is, that gives me hope. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Now, it's usually this part of the story where we have a little fun in making fun of Israel, right? I mean, they start to panic as soon as they see the Egyptian army. And you're like, oh, come on, Israel. You saw all the plagues. What gives? Come on. But instead, they're crying out to God. And when that doesn't work, they look for someone to blame. How many of us have been there before, right? Well, God's not listening. It must be someone else's fault. And so they say to Moses in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, or actually verse 11, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." This is like the ultimate I told you so kind of moment. You've been in those conversations. You're like, ah, oh, oh, man, that stinks. But instead, with, whenever you find yourself in a dead end, everywhere else looks better than where you are, doesn't it? And for Israel, that everywhere else included slavery. It even included slavery. Everywhere's better than here, Moses. Come on. I told you this was going to happen. And the thing with dead ends... The things with dead ends is that they push us to turn back. Dead ends always push us to turn back because dead ends are terrifying. And we start to have this internal dialogue. How did I get here? What did I do wrong? What did I miss? And how do I get out? And as soon as we experience a roadblock, a pushback, any sort of struggle, then we start second-guessing God and we go looking for others to blame. It's as if God hasn't proven himself time and time again. And so when we hit that roadblock, we begin wondering and saying, everything would have been better if God would have only. Everything would have been better if they would have only. Now, to be clear, there are times because of our sinful desires where we need to repent and we do need to turn back. Are there also times where because of our limited perspective as human beings, we need to reassess? Yes, that's true as well. But that's not what we see here. What we see here is a whole nation of people who have explicitly followed the guidance of God and it led them to a dead end. God is leading them every step of the way with a pillar of cloud and they're stuck at the Red Sea. And now with an army behind them, And maybe you're here this morning, you've been following Jesus for a while, and yet you feel more alone than you ever thought you would. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been following Jesus for a while, and he hasn't answered your prayer to bring a spouse. He hasn't answered your prayer to help pay for your bills in a more streamlined fashion. He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't fill in the blank. Maybe this morning you're brand new to Christianity. And yet, God's presence isn't as strong as it used to be. The church isn't what you'd hoped it would be. The walk of Christianity isn't exactly like you thought it would be. Or maybe you're in a job today and you thought, man, if I just surrender my job to God, finally I'll be energized and fulfilled. And you don't feel energized and fulfilled in your job. And you don't know if any job will ever energize or fulfill that longing for contribution the way your heart aches. And you don't want to say out loud what's been going on inside of your mind, which is, I just wish God would have left me where I was. And you start second guessing God's love, His goodness, and His care for you. We've all been there. You're not alone. And if you've never been there, you will be. So don't be shocked. (laughs) Don't be shocked. And maybe even you've come to the point where that angst internally has now bled over into your relationships, and you're looking for someone to blame. When somebody asks you how you're doing, it becomes the pointing finger at your boss, at your kids, at your parents, at your friends, at your pastors. What do we do when we're in that spot? Where do we go? Well, Moses is never surprised that God isn't surprised by our dead ends. And listen to what he says to Israel. And it's a word for us today as well. Down in verse 13. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. (laughs) In other words, stop panicking Stop running around looking for the exit. Stop picking on each other and blaming each other, blaming me, <sighs> says Moses. <laughs> and just stand still for a minute, be quiet, and watch God work. Wait, you, do, you want me to do no- Nothing, just watch. But try telling that to a mother of three when a chariot is heading towards your family. Any time now, God, <laughs> right. We've echoed some of those prayers and scenarios in our own life, haven't we? Any time now, you see, Israel was anything but an army. They were used to making bricks, not making war. They could fling flatbread, not swords. Egypt might as well have machine guns and Israel bows and arrows. And then Egypt had every military advantage. Israel had the worst military position. It was set up for a slaughter, or at least a recapture that Israel would never forget. But something happens. Suddenly, if you can imagine this, the cloud that has been leading you as a community, as you've been wandering already through the wilderness, begins to ascend up into heaven. My first thought would be, "God's leaving. <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> and he really has left us. Oh no! Grab your kids. Grab your wife. You know, like it's it's in, we're in trouble." Instead, the cloud begins to hover over his people and descends. And a wall as high as heaven separates Israel from Egypt. And the command to be silent comes a lot easier now because you're dumbstruck as to what just happened. But the best is yet to come. In Exodus 14, verse 21, we read, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry. The strong wind dries the ground out even. And the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You see, with God, even dead ends can become highways. Only with God can dead ends become highways. There are moments... When we stand, we watch, and we're silent. And then there are also moments then when God calls us to walk. Walk down paths we probably wouldn't have walked if there was any other option available. Can you imagine, Moses, you want me to do what? Walk through those two mountains of ocean or sea that are on both sides that could come crashing down at any moment? But if that's my option or the Egyptians who are chasing after me, then I'm going through the Red Sea, right? I'm walking through the water. There are moments where we would never walk forward unless it was the only option. Now, what's fascinating is that Egypt goes in right after him. What were they thinking? Were they thinking, oh, maybe Israel's God is just as capricious as Egypt's God's. Maybe Yahweh's not as smart as we thought he was. Maybe Yahweh will abandon his people yet. Maybe Pharaoh's so blinded by rage for revenge that reason has left the table. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life or in someone you know and love. I don't know why they chose to to run in and what they were thinking, but regardless, the hunters, the Egyptians, and one foul swoop become the prey. Because as we read on in the passage in verse 25, who is it who clogs their wheels when they're in the sea? It's God. Who is it that confuses their ranks when they're in the midst? It's God. And something that's very uncomfortable in a 21st century sensibility, or maybe any cultural sensibility for that matter, is even when the Egyptians begin to flee and say Yahweh is indeed fighting for Israel, that's when the two sides of the sea come crashing down and thousands of Egyptian soldiers lose their lives, crushed under the just judgment of God. Never ever, ever to harass Israel ever again. And Israel gets a picture of their God that they would have never seen in any other way. You see, this is why God loves dead ends so much. Because dead ends reveal our God. When there's no way of escape, no strategy that we could figure out to get around the obstacle that makes us look like we're the ones who figured it out, No other explanation and everything else gets out of the way. And God does what only God can do and such it points to him and his glory. That's why God loves dead ends. You see, God always fights for his people. When you follow into Exodus 15, after they've crossed over the sea, they sing a glorious song of God's deliverance and they call God a man of war a deliverer, one who fights for the oppressed and the vulnerable who will not sit by when injustice is taking case, taking place. But God doesn't fight according to our rules. His justice is way more thorough than we are ever comfortable with because we are complicit in so much injustice that we'll push the line far enough that we still look clean. But God's justice is way more thorough than ours ever could be. And his mercy, his lavish mercy is way more consistent than we could ever hope to extend. This is the glory of our God that's put on display. And in verses 30 and 31, as Israel sees, it's very explicit, sees their oppressors, the ones who had murdered their sons and raped their daughters, dead on the seashore, bird food. They get a picture of their God that they never even imagined. A God who fights for his people. Not one, the text says, not one Egyptian soldier lives. Not one. And Israel The text says in verse 31, saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. You see, there are certain things that we can only learn in dead ends. There are certain things we can only learn in hardship, in pain, in stress. You know, when I was growing up in a single parent home, I remember talking with my mom and she she would say, you can tell when somebody's gone through deep pain. And, and here, there's a distinction here. Someone who's gone through deep pain and leaned into God because there's an air of humility and compassion and suffering with when others are going through hard time. Now, if somebody goes through pain and doesn't lean into God, there's a deep-seated bitterness that becomes swollen and an infection and it's hard to be around that person. But when somebody's gone through deep pain and they leaned into God into that pain and in that dead end, it forms them in a way that only dead ends can do that. And you see, Part of that's too because when things are fine, we feel like we're fine. We feel like we're smart enough to handle our own lives. We don't need God to come in and give us direction, thank you very much. When he so desperately longs to really give us life and life abundant. Now, does God speak to us in the good times and those good gifts and pleasures? Of course he does. God is always speaking. He's always inviting. But in those moments, far too often, it's so easy to just gloss over his voice. C.S. Lewis, the great 20th century thinker. He was an atheist and a professor at Oxford until he became a Christian in his 30s. He gives really wise insight here to us when we think about dead ends. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think one of the key deafness (laughs) deafnesses in our world today is busyness we just get so caught up in our schedules our weekly schedules our hourly schedules our to-do lists our checklists this is me this is my life i'm preaching to myself here and sometimes god allows a dead end to smack us to a standstill and to say wake up listen be silent and watch me work and let me show you me afresh You know, going through this story, it's made me think of some of the dead ends we experienced in the downtown campus's history over the years. Um, In our early days, I remember when we when I first showed up, we were more of a prayer group and less of a congregation. Uh, We were meeting in different uh, social rooms to begin our Sunday morning gatherings, and we started growing. So we started looking for a space to meet in um, for the full week to continue out our faithful presence here in our downtown. And we thought we found like the perfect space. Um, And every week we would say, next week's the week. We're going to sign the lease. We're going to begin construction. And week turned into months in which the deal did not land. Some of you may remember that. It was always switching one phrase here, get another estimate there until one phone call, the whole deal fell through. And not only was it crushing because we had to start with square one, But simultaneously, simultaneously, our volunteer worship leader who did such a great job, her husband got a new job up in Washington, and so they had to move. And then also the two folks who had apartments in the buildings where the social rooms were, they moved because of vocation transitions. And so we didn't have a place to meet, (laughs) all in a matter of a couple weeks. And I, sometimes I didn't even know we were going to meet until the Wednesday before. You know, and I'm emailing everybody. I oh, know I said that was going to work, but that's not going to work. And we felt like we were kind of at a standstill waiting. We did have a couple spots where we were able to meet for a little while. But those were hard times. I remember. I remember praying, and a few of you probably prayed similar prayers, asking God, do you even want us here in downtown Kansas City? Did we miss something? We feel like we're at a dead end here, and you hear stories of God opening these grand doors. We've got a whole building for free. Well, congratulations, all right? (laughs) Transparency gets raw, doesn't it? But asking those questions, and yet little by little, God was faithful. It's not always in the grandiose moments, but in the little stepping stones in which God sometimes shows his faithfulness. Sometimes a Red Sea is a bit of a stream, but we still need His help to cross it, don't we? And imagine if we would have given up when everything seemed hopeless. Imagine, look at the community that's around you that God has created, the community He's placed us in, here in the crossroads in our downtown, the lives that have been changed, maybe your life that's been changed in the process. What God has done... What we would have missed. And it gets me excited about what God still has in store, what God's going to do next. But it does beg the question what do we do next? (laughs) What do we do now? And I, I think there are three helpful questions that both as a community and as individuals, when we come to dead ends, We need to be asking ourselves. And look, before I give you these questions, I'm not saying, hey, whatever your impossible dream is, God will part your Red Sea, okay? I'm not going to say that. This isn't some little optimistic message. This is real down to earth, what God's doing in the life of his people, okay? Your dream just may not be real. And so we sometimes have to surrender dreams. But when we're at a dead end, three questions that I think will help us process what God might be doing in that moment. And here they are. God, what do you want me to learn God, what do you want me to see? And God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to learn? God, what do you want me to see? And God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to learn about who you are? Maybe I've just been having this picture of Jesus as my homeboy rather than a full orbed picture of a just God and a holy God who meets together in the cross and rises again to now offer mercy to the world and life everlasting. Maybe there's something within myself that God wants to teach me. Maybe you've been too hard on yourself and God wants to affirm the way he's designed you. Maybe there's something in your life, a destructive cycle of sin, that he wants to confront you for your own good. Maybe there's something in our community that he wants to teach us about. God, teach me. God, what do you want me to see? Many times when God's working in our lives, he uses us as examples, right? To those looking on, as he did in Egypt, as he did in Israel to the Egyptians, kind of vice versa here. But whenever God's working in our lives for the examples of others, he's always giving us a nugget. And so asking, am I too blind? Am I too busy to see what you want me to see? God, show me. And then lastly, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to repent? Is there something broken in my life I need to let go? God, do you want me to stand still and just stop talking about it and be silent and wait for you to work? Or do you want me to walk? Are you calling me to a courageous walking down a new path? And see, that's the, this is where it gets. It's not all nice and neat where it's always do this or always do that. It's dependent upon God's direction in your life. It's engaging a relationship with Him and trusting His guidance. Sometimes that means standing still and being quiet. Sometimes that means crying out. Sometimes that means walking. God, what does it look like for me to be faithful in this dead end? God, guide me. And those three questions, the only reason they have any sort of personal gain, the only way we're able to wait and watch God work, the only way we're able to walk while hoping as if the dead end is never really the end, as if dead ends are never really the end, not for his people. You see, standing this side of the resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate dead end has been dealt with such that even if we stood on the Red Sea shore and we were slaughtered in some twisted injustice, even that would no longer be the dead end of God's people. You see, God is always working in the dead ends of his people and he's always fighting for his people. Rarely in the ways that we want him to. <laughs> but in the ways that are always our best. Always for our best. In ways that only he could. I mean, think about this. When God comes to earth in Jesus, how does he defeat our death? By dying. How strange is that? God came to defeat death By dying, how does he come and pay our debt that we deserve to pay God for committing treason against a holy creator God? He comes and he pays our debt by dying on a cross such that we now can receive freedom. Can you imagine there's no worse dead end than God dying on a cross? The one who parts the sea now buried in stone This is God's love for us. But not even death could hold him down. By his own power, he breaks through the dead end stone wall of death and trailblazes a path that whoever follows Jesus can know everlasting life. And this is God's power in us, his great mercy made new in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, God loves dead ends. He's never, ever surprised by dead ends. In your life, in a communal life, what have you. And he even redemptively uses them to show, him, to show us himself as well as point us to where we're headed. May we have the eyes to see, the ears to hear what God is doing in our midst, even in dead ends. And the words of Moses, they still ring true. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today while it is still called today, if we trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are more grandiose than the simple boxes we seek to put you in. Your justice is more thorough than we're comfortable with. Your mercy is more lavish than we deserve. And yet because of Jesus, we see that you are the just and the justifier. That in your perfect judgment, Jesus took our place. That we might know your mercy standing this side of the resurrection. Having an eternal hope that every dead end is ultimately not the end, not for God's people. May our eyes see the truth of the gospel. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.